Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space, our bonus episodes, and the trek continues, the wars continue in the stars, that's right, we're talking Red Dwarf, not those two things you might have been thinking about, our trek through the entire Red Dwarf back catalogue is trekking on, we have done series one through seven, almost all of seven, it got to a place where we were getting on a bit, and so I cut that one back, um... So we're going to continue with the rest of Series 7 and go right into Series 8. Uh, and after that, we'll obviously continue with uh, Back to Earth and the rest. But this week, for this week, you are getting our completion of Series 7 uh, and the rest of Series 8. So I'm going to hand over to myself and Julian, and you can enjoy. Maybe maybe we can breeze through through Abedim. Um You know... You know, I, I I just can say, you know, immediately it fits exactly the pattern you were talking about of sort of mm-hmm. like, this is an idea. I, you know, I love the idea of using the universal translator to talk to a virus, right? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, but nothing in this episode really makes sense. And nothing in this episode is really that satisfying. There are a couple twists, you know, but the entire plot depends on this epidemic virus um, only being in one part of the body at the time and then being able to like chase it into another part of the body with antivirals, which if you have antivirals, why are you chasing it into a part of the body so you can cut it off? Um, You know, so they cut off Lister's, you know, right arm when he begged them to be sure to cut off the left, but it went into that. And then at the end, uh, you know, there's another fake out where, I mean, there's this whole fake out of like, they're going to get the cure, but the virus really tricked them. There was no cure. This was all to keep, you know, Dave alive. Uh, you know, okay, uh, it's a twist. And mm-hmm. then there's another twist is Kachansky uh, allows basically like, you know, kills Dave, uh, yeah. stops his heart. Then somehow, you know, okay, the virus takes over. It makes people zombies. So it bites Kachansky. Kachansky somehow knew this was about to happen and had like a fake arm that was made from a real body part that the virus went into. Then she cuts it off, even though it's not really attached to her just for the shock value. And then we're supposed to believe that in that bite, the virus transplanted all of itself into the arm like i mean there are things like that that just you know i mean there again there's a good idea here right a sentient virus that you can talk to Mm. and and it kind of talks like max headroom you know all that stuff that's good right i mean that's legit good idea but the story itself doesn't what is that about you know no i i 100 agree i think all the interactions with um 
uh, the the Epidian virus itself are actually really good. I really enjoy. I mean, there's even a moment in this where they trick it, which I really like. Where Crichton sort of says, "Well, I've got no beef with you. We we are both sort of non-biological. You know, whatever. You can't infect me, so I'm not so worried." And you've obviously collected, and I like the idea as well. A bit like with Legion, like you know, every person that you infect, you gain some of their knowledge, you gain some of that experience and information. So you must be like, you know, all this wealth of information and knowledge you have. How could we make Starbug better? And it's, it, it reels off this thing, and it make it, it'll make it three hundred percent more efficient. And he's like, ah, thank you very much. That will actually allow us to get to, and that happens, I think, in. No, it happens to this one, sort of, you know, we can get there faster. And you're like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. I like all this stuff where you are talking with the virus, as you say. But some of the other stuff just doesn't make sense. Like you're saying, I'd never thought about that with, with Kachansky in the arm. But if it's not attacked, it's dead. So if it's dead, would the would the virus not want to go into that? Because the point is it wants to go into a living host because it absorbs it until that thing dies and then it coats it in ice. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, so that crewman that they find at the beginning, right on the on the Leviathan, uh, mm. Caroline Carmen, mm-hmm. she was a former Red Dwarf crew member. What? Yeah. How Irrelevant. did she? How did she get from? How was she one of Lister's former crushes? Presumably on the Red Dwarf. I mean. Mm-hmm. And this is another case where it's like, well, so how did she leave the Red Dwarf? But we're three million years out. Did the yeah. Leviathan, like, she transferred from the Red Dwarf to the Leviathan, and the Leviathan also just started drifting for three million years? Um, why would you even say this is a former crew member? It adds nothing to the plot that he had a crush on her, except, like, okay, she attacks him in his quarters, and there's some kind of gross out. You know, zombie stuff as parts of her body come off in his mouth, but you know, um, again though, which is, you could doesn't make sense. You easily solve that in the same way they did it in Justice. You just say we can't see her because she's in a block of ice. However, on this, I've just done a scan and we found on the crew the crew manifest it's this crew member, and here's a picture of her. And look, she's incredibly right. attractive. Right. So when yeah, she yeah, comes yeah. out and she comes after, you know, you, you can have the same interaction with List. In fact, List, you know, her coming after Dave makes sense because it's she's the first living thing she comes across. Not a problem. But he doesn't even when she's in, um, when she comes after him, she doesn't. He doesn't even think it's Caroline Carmen. He thinks it's Christine Kachansky because she sneaks right. up in bed, doesn't she? So again, there's nothing like he's like, oh, okay, Caroline Carmen, I can have that. You know, maybe. Try that. <laughs> nope doesn't make any yeah. sense matter doesn't make any sense it's, it's you're absolutely right i mean it's and it's not only you're dead on it would have been easily solved and and you're so right that we don't even get a moment where he says you know i've been lusting after kachansky and she's not into me i'll never measure up to holo dave mm. but you know now i've got a second chance with caroline carmen no yeah. we don't even get that which would justify at least for a moment, at least that would give us a character beat. Yeah, it's bizarre. They keep doing these things. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not... It's like... They, they, it's like they're trying to set up some pun jokes or some smaller jokes 
for that moment because again like the joke is he sort of he, he you know he gives off this thing about how, what she's like and oh she's a great kisser and he's oh then we can ask her when she comes around he's like well she might not remember me well that's it for that joke yeah <laughs> you've done better than this before like stop doing it it's yeah so Epidem, we are going to breeze through because I think Epidem, like you say, it's yeah. fine. It comes this thing, but it's just, it's just naff. <laughs> um, I mean, the end result is you end with, um, you know, um, again, you sort of talk about being brave. They try, you know, it's not. They've got one more episode, but the new status quo is that Lister now only has one arm, mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of where, where you're left. And they say to be continued, right, at the end of this mm. episode. The only thing that continues is that he has one arm. And yeah. by the end of the next episode, he, he'll he have both arms back. How is that to be continued? I mean, it wasn't like at the end of the second episode, they go, uh, Rimmer's gone to be continued because he's still going to be gone next time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. It's almost like they're trying to fool you into thinking you're getting a two-parter at the end of the series. Um, but then you get Nanaki and, the, and this idea that, again, a new idea that, in fact, it's an, it's an idea that's complete crap as well, um, that Crichton has had microscopic, or as he says, itty-bitty little nanobots <laughs> going through his system that help him self-repair. And he lost them uh, at some point when they lost... Red Dwarf. Fine. But we also know that he's had accidents and other things have happened when, you know, so what, when did they lose Red Dwarf? Was it Series 6? Yeah, it's the, the end of 5, right? Because um, all well, of they... 6, they're on the uh, uh, Starbucks. Yeah, that's right. So 5 is on Red Dwarf, isn't it? Series 5, they yeah. are actually on Red Dwarf. Okay. So if you had nanobots, when they crash on Terraform, which is the Rimmer psyche planet, the Psy world, and he's mm-hmm. all cracked, he's all smashed up, why does he have to send his his hand back to get help to get himself repaired if he's got nanobots? Well, that would have been just after he lost them. Because, you know, he there is this reference to, like, the despair squid, which is back to reality, the last appearance of uh, Red Dwarf. So in theory... Well, no, no, because Back to Reality is episode six of series five. Terraform is series is episode three. I'm, I'm going oh, yeah, you're big. right. You're right. So that's yeah, even yeah. before that. So No, you're right. It, you know, it yeah, does. no, I mean, these nanomachines have not existed previously. I mean, this is a retcon. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, but it's another one where you're like, oh, okay. Seems to come out of nowhere. And again, if this technology existed... All right. If you had, and yes. granted, 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 I'm not going to talk about Red Dwarf because Red Dwarf, they actually acknowledged in in series eight that Crichton uh, was built hundreds of years after Red Dwarf was launched. <clears throat> but if Crichton had this technology and they have this capability, why, way back when, did he not sort of say, oh, "I can, uh, I could resurrect the dead <laughs> with"? You know, all that white powder that we had kicking about. Well, don't we done with it now? But it was all the crew. Yeah, I can resurrect them all with these technology. This technology. Again, well, there's I one thing t- I learned in college is that white powder fixes everything. Yeah. 
No, you're <laughs> right. I mean, you know, uh, Crichton, this should have come up sooner, right? I, but yeah. I still like I still like the idea. I mean, mostly because I like where it's going to go. That you know, I mean, and at least it references the despair squid. I dig that. I mean, you know, and you know, keep in mind, like you know, for listeners, like all through six, they're in theory chasing red dwarf, mm. and you know, here they found. You know, it doesn't make sense why they didn't sense it. You know, between five and six, but there's a planetoid near where they were with the despair squid and back to reality. Um, and um, that planetoid reads as red dwarf. Well, it's the remains of red dwarf. It makes no sense why the nano machines have, you know, made a miniature version of red dwarf that yeah. they were sailing around and that's what yeah. they were tracking. I mean, that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, right? I'll give you, I'll give you a fix for all this again. Right. So instead of them having been in Crichton, which makes no sense, when they when um, I'm just looking again, looking at past episodes, how about when they go to the um, the station where the they were creating the look virus and sexual magnetism and and you know they uh, in quarantine, so Rimmer gets the hollow virus, right? So that's a, that's right. a place dealing with advanced technology. Why could they not say in that? Oh well, actually, yeah, I picked them up off that thing. We picked them. We thought they could be useful. Then I lost. I lost them when we were in quarantine. There you go. Sold. Right. Two episodes later, you know, they've stolen Red Dwarf, and you're back to it. Like there are ways of doing this. If you, all I'm doing is looking at IMDb and looking at past episodes and going, "Yeah, we'll plug it into that." It's a slight retcon, fine, but it's not as big as the one they try and force on us. Yeah, I mean, you know, you should be writing this. I mean, again and again, you're coming up with better solutions to, you know, ways to get to what they want to do with the script and with the plot mm. than what they're doing, which, again, you know, consistently seems, outside of uh, Stoke and Clipper, kind of half-assed. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the end result of, of, of this is they clearly want to get to... An, this whole series... I'd say is about setting up a new status quo. It's a transitional series, isn't it? That's how it feels. Right, we're losing Rimmer. Boom, we've done that. We're gaining Kachansky. Boom, we've done that. Okay, let's sort of set up this new status quo between them all, um, how they all are. And then as a final piece, we're going to reintroduce Red Dwarf, the ship. So we've got to get them off Starbug and get them back on the ship. That's it. That was the that, as far as I'm concerned, the BBC gave them a. Um, a mission statement of by the end of this series, we want you to have four crew members on a ship on Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think they were going for. Yeah, I mean, I I will say, you know, you're you're completely right. I mean, I I will say that, you know, if there's one moment that stands out for me in this episode, it's when we see Holly again, and. Mm. It's the male Holly. It's not the, mm-hmm. the female ho- uh, Holly that they, you know, replaced uh, Holly with. And, you know, I just have in my notes, Holly, ex- multiple yeah. exclamation marks. Like, it is it's so much fun to see him again. And, and I do think that, the, you know, he might be part of why the next season works much better for me. Um, you know, that he is part of that dynamic you know that Mm. that crew dynamic that works um 
you know, um, I, it's fun seeing that they, you know, like it's a, it's a silly joke that they remake Lister's arm, but they also make Lister muscular. That's going to be instantly dropped. I love that they remake Red Dwarf. Um, you know, we don't really get the twist to that until the, you know, the first episode of the next season. But, you know, it's too big and Starbucks miniature. Mm. Eh, you know, eh, okay. You know, like, haha, it's a cliffhanger. Haha. Okay. I mean, it's not great. But, I mean, I, I would say this is still probably, uh, it, this might be my second favorite episode. But after Stoke Me and Clipper, they're all kind of clumped together. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, the end result, and the, again, the last bits of this aren't too bad. I mean, there's some, again, some interesting little bits. Um, but the idea, again, of... It's just little things that bother me. Like, the idea that they've actually, this ship, the nanobots and stuff, have actually been like, floating around in Lister's laundry for the last two years. And you, you know, I get the joke that he doesn't change his clothes often, but you've made it clear that Crichton's the one that does his laundry all the time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like they don't even follow their own internal logic. We've said this about some of the films that we've reviewed. Like, if you're going to set the rules, yes. follow your own internal logic. And this just doesn't. And that's what I find it infuriating at times. It just... You know, no, that's fine, very fair. Mm. Um, so yeah, but I do love the return of Norman Lovett as Holly. I think he's great. Not that Hattie Haydridge wasn't good. I really enjoyed her as Holly. I think she had great moments. But Norman Lovett is Holly. Let's be honest. And um, you know, he hasn't missed a beat. He's still great. And uh, we do get some. You know, he does do some good stuff in in series eight. Um, but yeah, but overall, I agree. I think you know, apart from Stoke Me a Clipper. I think I could miss series seven. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about, you know, when we get to the end, we will talk about favorite episodes and that sort of thing. But I I often think about what would I return to in this? And often I've returned to those as we sort of refer to as the classic years. That's sort of like, for me, that's sort of like three, four, five ish, you know, sort of like some of six and some of the early stuff, mainly three, four, five is what I return to the most. I could probably miss seven. And you know, mm-hmm. never return, never to return to seven. I don't think I'd miss a great deal. I think that's very fair. I mean, I I, I think Stuck Me a Clipper is you know is by far the best, and and it is classic. Um, you know, as I've been going, I have been rating these, and um, and I've also sort of been making a designation of like what I think are classic episodes. Um. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are those essential episodes that I would return to over and over again? Um, And I think I said that, you know, uh, most series, you know, the first like four, uh, five series have out of six episodes, two or three that I consider classic. Mm -hmm. Um, I could maybe narrow it down to two a season, but... I can't imagine telling somebody to watch Red Dwarf and not see uh, and and not tell them to watch two at least episodes out of those seasons. Um, mm. and, and then we get to six and, you know, Rimmer War- World is the clear standout. You know, the rest are weaker. I think you're right, you know, in saying that this is a weaker season than that. Um, but 
Stoke Me a Clipper is the only one that I could even recommend. Um, and, you know, and then you have the problem, like, because you're messing with the formula so much. Now, I, I like that they're doing that. I like that mm-hmm. Kachansky's on board. But mm-hmm. especially once you get to seven, yeah, and once you get to eight, now you're kind of in serialized narrative territory where, mm-hmm. you know, in series seven and especially eight, you can't give an episode to somebody and say, just watch this episode. You know, yeah, they're going to have to, you know, uh, understand what's happened in between episodes in a way that the earlier episodic seasons don't require. No, I agree with that. Definitely. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's not let's be fair. I'm looking at season series eight now. If you move on to series eight, but it starts with a three parter and then has a two parter sort of stuck towards the end. So, you know, when we sort of say about favorite episodes, or whatever later on, it could be, it could be interesting. Um, but they, they have though. So we go into series eight. This again came two years later. So it was 1997 with series seven. Series eight comes in 1999. Um, and, you know, which is crazy watching it. I'm watching this now and thinking, I still remember this quite vividly now, but it's 20 years ago <laughs> this came out, or more than that now, 21 years ago. So it's, it's you know, that's mad. But um, this this series sort of, it's, you know, it starts with uh, a three-part episode, Back in the Red, which is obviously Back in the Red referencing them, back in, being back on Red Dwarf. And the Nanos have um, recreated Red Dwarf, um, and they've recreated the entire crew, and the show opens with them, as with the cliffhanger. It's sort of like they've got like a mini, they're like a little mini fly flying around. But the ship starts to adjust itself, um, and they end up sort of. Um, it looks like they're getting larger, but the ship is getting smaller as they fly through it, and they end up demolishing uh, a starbug as they fly in, including flying up a rat's bottom, which you know, I know <laughs> is pure and silly, but makes me laugh quite a lot it, it's um, also well done in the cgi yeah. i mean it is yeah. it is legit well done um and basically the, sh- the show reintroduces a new status quo in that th- th- this episode opens with what could quite easily be a skip from the first two series mm-hmm. but you find out that rimmer, rimmer has returned or there is a rimmer in it um and there is a lister and they are in prison and then the series sort of is backtracks, or the first three episodes backtrack, and you find out how they ended up in prison, and the fact that Red Dwarf has a prison at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Um, and then it goes on, and there's some, some a couple of standalone episodes, and then we get through to the sort of to sort of the finale. But this back in red, this sort of almost like a let's call it a feature length episode, although it's got cliffhangers. It is one long story, isn't it? Like it's a, it's it's got some interesting bits in it. But what are your thoughts really going into series eight? Uh, I love it. Um, I mean, I think you know, back in Red Part One is basically everything I I felt I was missing in series seven. Mm. It is working. It's flowing. Um, you know, it it feels coherent. Um, you know, I mean, even the like you said, even the the flying up a mouse's butt, and you know what you haven't said is that Starbuck is pulling the mouse forward on its front end. You know, mm-hmm. as it's lot. I mean, it's very well done. Um, 
even around there, you know, the cast says uh, he warns them about brown alert, and they say there is no brown <laughs> alert, and he says, "Well, there is now. Don't tell, don't, uh, don't say I didn't warn you." Um, you know, and and it's the ti- comedic timing is right. I mean, that sounds like that could be a joke that could easily fall flat, and in series six, it would have fallen flat. Now, you know, to your theory that they need a studio audience, the studio audience is back for series yes. eight. Um, but that, that man, that timing is working. The episodes are flowing. Um, and you know, there are some weaker episodes in this series, but I mean, back in the red, I feel like is just a sort of, I mean, I, I have a note, uh, you know, that, that back in the red one is, is sort of like outside of stoke me a clipper. I mean, you know, this is way above anything in series seven yes agreed and it's this is the thing where i remember watching this and bit when i when i watched this back in the day thinking and being disappointed with it but watching it now this first episode is really good and it, it sort of it introduces some fantastic elements i mean like i said that the whole opening bit where we find out that uh rimmer isn't talking to lister for whatever purpose, so he's basically sort of list has now set himself a mission to annoy Rimmer to an extent that he's now going to sort of basically shout at him. Um, it, it's all like I say, it's firing on all cylinders. Um, and there's even some moments like they've been arrested when you find they were taken from the wreckage of the of the red of the Starbug uh, that they crash. Rimmer is Lister is taken back to the sleeping quarters, like the usual sleeping quarters. So it's good to see that some of the you know they're obviously been slightly. Uh, redone and set dressing but to go back to those things and he sat there thinking like you know whatever's going to happen and you get the return of rimmer the nanos have brought back a living rimmer yeah but not just a rimmer like it's the moment where he starts saying things like up oh, the ziggurat lickety split and sort of like all oh, you know all boyo and all this stuff and, and lister's response is oh you you're the old rimmer like you, know, you, <laughs> haven't, you haven't grown and changed you're still you um, and I, I love that response, you know, and it's it's great to see him back and being the, the you know the obnoxious moron he is from the first couple of series. Um, so yeah, I, I do like. I think this is great, and I think the idea of of having all the crew back does introduce a new dynamic um, that you know we never really got to see them in in uh, interact with other people and stuff. So you you get to do you know see this, and I think. I forget the guy's name. I'm just going to find out. The actor who plays um, Mac McDonald okay, as Captain Hollister. Oh yeah. Um, he he gets to do some some good stuff in this, and I you know he's a he becomes not a main character, but he's definitely sort of like a B level sort of secondary character, and he's pretty entertaining in this. Like you know again, um, and there's a great moment in this as well. I think it's in, it might be in part two or part three. I'm not sure where. Um, you find out more about him as well, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, no, I think this first episode is really strong, um, and I, I, it, it did reassure me that actually this show's back on track and has actually got something to say. Like you know, it's actually got something to, um, it, it it's got something you know to start to keep me engaged that I don't think Seven had. Seven tried to be bigger and failed. This tries to be sort of bigger in a, in a different way, or at least change the status quo, and succeeds much more effectively. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, 
And, you know, it's funny again. It's lively mm. again. Um, you know, I love the idea that the, you know, just to start off, I love the idea that the nano machines would reconstruct the crew as well. <laughs> That's yeah. such a clever little thing. Um, but, you know, this is by far the most radical, upsetting change to the status quo of the show. The entire status quo of the show from from day one was the entire crew is dead. Here is the paltry gang of of three last survivors, plus Holly, later, plus Crichton, you know, last season, plus Kachansky. I mean, compared to bringing back the entire crew of the Red Dwarf, um, mm. being on Starbug for a season doesn't mm. even register as a change. I mean, bringing replacing Rimmer with Kachansky, I mean, that's nothing. This is the entire premise of the show in which the that cast exists. And yet, so, I mean, to me, that proves the problem isn't change. The problem mm. isn't screwing with the status quo of Red Dwarf. It's just that it didn't work. And here that chemistry is working and it's working, you know, almost right from the beginning. I mean, well, it begins with that, that flash forward where it feels like the old days. I mean, which... Yeah symbolically is kind of like announcing a return to form. Um, you know, you're right. It's poignant seeing Rimmer, uh, you know, not having evolved. He feels like that same character. He still thinks he's going to be an officer, which, yeah. you know, Dave's like, Oh God, you still think you're going to be an officer. Don't you, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, that's all great. I mean, and it's even got so many little things where the timing is just working. The doctor examines the cat who, of course, they've oh, never yes. seen before. And the doctor yeah. says his organs are color-coordinated and the heart, his heartbeat and his pulse each make a separate rhythm. <laughs> you know, it's like, he is the coolest cat. And, of course, all of that is ridiculous, but we don't mm. care because it's working and it's clever and it, it, the whole episode doesn't revolve around that, you know? Um, and that I captain, the-, the captain's fantastic. And like seeing Holly last episode, I see the captain. Mm. We have more fun stuff with that captain in this series than we do in that first episode. That whole yeah. first half of that first episode just feels stale and stodgy and it's working. It's doing its job, but it mm. feels very stale and stodgy here. The captain is legitimate funny. Mm. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think this whole series is, has got some of the, some fantastic secondary characters. I mean, one of the things, like I say, being in prison, it also introduces, I mean, you know, um, let's say Matt McDonald as Captain Hollister. The other one that comes in, I mean, granted it comes in, I think it comes in part two when you're finally introduced to the prison is, uh, what's his name? Is Graham McTavish? Um, the Warden? The Warden. So Graham McTavish, I don't know if you've seen um, Preacher. Yes. Okay, I think this is Preacher. So Graham McTavish is the, the uh, Saint of Killers. Oh um, really? Wow! Yeah. Um, and this is so. In this, obviously, he plays he plays the warden, who's clearly sort of like just as psychotic, but in a much camper, sort of slightly menacing way. Um, and he's brilliant fun. Like I really am enjoying this. You know, sort of. Um, he's he's funny, and like you say, everyone's bringing something different. They're trying something different. They're having fun. The the, the point is, it's funny, and they're having fun. That's what seems to be the difference. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, there are scenes um, again. I'm, I'm going to jump all over back in the red a little bit, but 
um, we find, you know, later sort of um, that Lister sort of says, like, you know, we, we've got to sort of try and get some evidence together for all our story to make for it to make sense. Otherwise, it just sounds like complete nonsense. Um, but the only way we can do that is there's stuff on uh, Starbug that we need. You know, he sends Living Rimmer to go get. It's the the crew's confidential files, and he finds the Luck virus and the sexual magnetism um, virus. Um, and so, you know, them being reintroduced is quite good fun. But then the fact that like Rimmer uses and manipulates people using those confidential files and the Luck virus and stuff and the sexual magnetism is is really funny. Like he goes to an evening, you know, the captain invites him to an evening soiree and he's taken the sort of the sexual magnetism and then Rimmer basically sort of ends up sleeping with the, all these women <laughs> at this dinner party in different ways um, and eventually sort of like has to sort of weasel his way out of it and stuff and it, it's, it's really funny I think you know it's, it's done really really well um, and so having this wide like you said it's not changed because having this wider um, cast is actually bringing something new to the show, something more to the show. Um, and it's working. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. The first three episodes of this actually really work for me as a um, a piece, you know, as a single sort of story about how it all ends up coming together. And again, some great ideas. You know, the use of the psychotropic drugs for them to be in a sort of a a sleep state but believe that they're you know in reality so we're bringing back the ar machines and everything else so mm-hmm. they can see that that you know if they do what they say they're going to do they almost they do prove their innocence and i love the joke that they prove their innocence but in doing so they actually end up committing other crimes that replaces the, the they were going to do two years for the crimes <laughs> they were committed for but in proving their innocence they've also committed other crimes um, yeah it's abusing uh, classified info uh yeah which which has a two-year sentence so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> it's very good i well, think it's solid i think it's really funny oh i agree and and you know the other thing that occurs to me is um you know you you were talking about the extended cast but outside of kachansky who doesn't you know she has a few lines and and they work but outside of she doesn't really have have all that much to do um but our ex- our extended cast, including you know from Holly, you know Rimmer, Lister, Cat, um, you know they and Crichton, all have great moments of their own. Um, mm. You know Crichton, uh, you know I love this resurrected Red Dwarf kind of like okay, so they don't remember any times past, but they know the ship is bigger because <laughs> it's made yeah. to its original design plans, <laughs> right? And it's kind of a trope that like everything gets bigger and better. Like, you Mm. know, I mean, you see it in, in six where, you know, Starbug gets, you know, refitted and, you know, it happens in seven yet again. Um, But uh, you know, so, so red dwarf is bigger and better. So they're like, okay, how did the ship get bigger? Also, (laughs) why are we 3 million years in deep space? Uh, You know, who's this cat? You know, we don't know. Uh, And then they examine Crichton. And Crichton is examined by a, a psychologist and he says, you know, uh, Crichton explains, you know, um, that the counselor is dead. Um, and he says, well, so you're saying I'm dead now. And he says, no, no, of course not. You you were resurrected by nanomachines. You know? um, he says, you know, and he explains how he Crichton was built uh, after the counselor died. You know? um, 
you know, and he's evolved since. And he says, you know, he has some character faults. He's very proud of, you know, um, all of that is just, is just hilarious and working. Um, then Crichton again, struggling to say no to being, uh, set back to his factory resets. Kuchansky mm. tells him, think of them on the loo. Um, and he still can't quite get it when he's, you know, when he's forced to, um, you know, to approve of resetting him back mm. to factory resets, which ultimately doesn't matter because they just do it anyway later. Yeah. But, um, but you know, he takes a gun and kidnaps all of them and makes them go to the bathroom, pull down their pants yeah. and sit on, on the toilet. <laughs> and then he stands there and, and, you know, the actor's brilliant as he sort of parades down the aisle staring at them, <laughs> laughing, saying, you all look ridiculous. You know? well, it's I just wonderful. And the counselor, the psychologist, is wearing stockings and sort of like, you know, it's been sort of hidden away and stuff. So there's, there's great little moments because I also <laughs> like his moments. He, he does talk about his character flaws and he goes through them. He sort of demonstrates them. And the final one is anger with random acts of violence. <laughs> 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 um, and he just sort of, he just slams it down on his hand. And I think it's great. It's, 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 it's brilliant. It's so funny. Again, <laughs> he, he, you know, and you get the medical doctor examining Crichton as well and sort of, you know, and all this other stuff. And it's, he says, he says, go behind the, uh, there's, there's two moments. He sort of says, he goes, go behind the curtain and fill this. And he hands, hands him like a, a jar to pee in. And he comes out and he's, he's filled it with flowers, like a vase. Cause that's all he can yeah. do. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm just really enjoying this. Uh, you know, it's back on track. It's funny. Um, I'm laughing. I'm smiling throughout. I mean, again, you say about the moments. I mean, the, the, the moments of ridiculousness. Um, you know, again, like you say, if if it had been in another, if it had been in seven, there are moments in this that if they'd been in seven, I probably would have said, pointed out and gone, "That's rubbish." You mm-hmm. know, how's that working continuity? Um, but because this is funny and because I'm laughing and enjoying it, I'm more willing to accept it. Um, as the point being, I think we sort of briefly discussed it off air and we'll discuss it now, is the fact that the Nanos brought back all the crew, including Rimmer, but they didn't bring back Kachansky. Because is that, you know, because Kachansky, Kachansky, Christine Kachansky, we know is from another dimension. So was that a choice they made? Did they just not bring her back? Um, you know, yeah. that could be a real issue, but I'm not really thinking about it. Also, we have an entire scene where the cat makes a, a bunch of blue midgets dance, um, which again is ridiculous, but it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I mean, that is a set piece. Uh, yeah. As, as much as, you know, the Rimmer experience, you know, almost that good. Uh, it is just, you know, I mean, the, the CG is sort of not quite up to current standards, but mm. still really good for its time. I mean, in fact, the special effects this whole series are just a massive leap forward from the previous one. Um, Mm. And, and really feel much more up to snuff for me. Um, Not that that matters to me. I mean, I love the early stuff, but there is this kind of like um, uh, uncanny Valley in the middle where I think like, yeah, those flames are okay, you know, but I'd rather they either be good or, I just see like, uh, you know, the model hanging from lines, which I'm fine. Mm. With. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, that that is a set piece with the, the dancing uh, blue midgets there. Uh, but, but I also I like the fact it has a payoff. 
because he does that in order to impress the um, you know air traffic control kind of sort of thing they find they have in the in the hangar bay, and that you know you get this really attractive sort of like you know um, black girl there, and she's sort of like she's wowed by him a little bit, and she sort of she agrees to go on a date with him whilst they're trying to escape. Yeah, um, and they, it pays off that when they actually do escape, uh, or when they actually do try and escape later on, it's sort of sort of like a much older, larger sort of black woman, and she's sort of a bit more um, in your face. <laughs> and he's sort of like, I can't. No dancing, no amount of dancing is gonna, you know, convince that basically. <laughs> um, and I think it's great. I think it's 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 it, you know, like I say, the jokes are working, and the cast are clearly back on track, really. Um, but again, like I say it's just the it's just the fact that they they are giving them each a sort of uh, a, a moment to shine and a moment to do something, um, is is why I think this is working so well. Even the fact when they you do something with this, like they, they introduce the dwi- the Dwiblies, the Dr- yes. Dwayne Dibblies sort of crew, it's not great. It's a bit silly. I mean, why yeah. would why why would Christine Christine Kachansky know about Dwayne Dibley? Um, right. But it's fine. It's not the you know it's not a, it's not a deal breaker. But um, some of the other stuff is uh, it. I mean, in fact, that scene particularly is when it works. Is Crichton has been reset and he's going around. And he obviously he comes in looking for his mop heads and they're using them as hair to to look like Dwayne Dibley. And his re-corruption <laughs> is really like, it just makes me laugh. He's saying, I, "I know you, sir. I know you well. You were Wayne Wibley." Um, is I feel something's coming. It's oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Just the way the way he he delivers that line, um, and he he returns to the the Crichton that we know and love, is um, is just really funny and really satisfying. So, yeah. Well, and and I agree with you that there are things here that we would complain about if they were in the previous series. To be honest, mm. um, because they wouldn't have worked. They wouldn't have fl- uh, the flow w- wouldn't be right. The timing wouldn't be right. It would just feel a little stale on the page, so to speak. Um, and here, like that's a perfect example where um, really it doesn't make any sense that mm-hmm. there's this whole plot in which he is struggling to say no to being factory reset. Then he kidnaps those people and takes them into the into the John. Uh, or the Lou, and uh, then they just say, "Okay, that like that's a bridge too far. We're just going to reset you anyway." He's been reset, so all of this stuff has been purged. Yet when he sees Dwayne Dwibley, very quickly he, you know, he gets yeah. excited as you say. He says, "I can feel my files corrupting," <laughs> you know. And it, it's so, but it's so much fun, and the timing is right, and 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 you know, the shots are are you know, are good. Everything just feels on par. It's got that movie magic and you can forgive it. It's trespasses. Yes. And I think that's such a big part of it, isn't it? If you're enjoying it and if it's, if it's the majority is good, like you can forgive those little trips that it has. Um, and so I do, I do forgive it those things and enjoy it a lot more. Um, and I do feel like, you know, like I said, when I'm watching season seven and I'm thinking, yeah, this is the show falling apart with series eight. For the most part, I'm thinking, do you know what? This is a new show, a new type of show and it's getting way back on track. And I'm really enjoying it for those first uh, three episodes. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I, I think there was there's so much that works 
um, you know, that are little moments. I mean, uh, you know, when Kachansky comes on to, to Lister in the lift, you know, and she's, God, you're gorgeous. You know, I mean, Mm-mm. the acting is working, you know, that, like you said, I mean, they, they seem like they're having fun. Um, as they're, they're trying to convince Rimmer, um, and, and Lister said, he, Lister says, officers aren't men of honor. Uh, they're head cases. Uh, yeah. and, and I thought, you know, that's funny, but it also perfectly encapsulates the difference between Rimmer and, and Lister that, mm. you know, Rimmer looks up to the establishment and, and, uh, and Lister says, no, you know, I, I, they're all like you, Arnold, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I found that's fascinating. I mean, we're eight, eight seasons into a show that centrally was about that dynamic of the odd couple, one of whom aspired to the establishment and the other was, you know, uh, tune in, tune on, you know, drop out. Um, and we're still getting lines that clarify things for me where I think, yeah, I mean, Lister's saying the entire establishment is just like you, Arnold. And then we have, we see in these episodes that the captain, uh, the reason he identified Arnold's ploy uh, so easily is because the only reason yes. he's captain is that he blackmailed people. <laughs> yeah. And I love that reveal when he sort of says, if people realize I was just Billy the Donut Boy, they would be all over. And I was like, <laughs> it's a great moment that you're right. That that is, it's it's a funny little um, moment itself, but it does, it calls back to the fact that like list uh, Rimmer's not alone in this. They're all just as, you know, just as sort of power hungry and loopy as he is. Um, it just so happens that Captain Hollister may be a little bit more competent than he is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, we haven't even mentioned that, you know, as they're in this artificial reality, uh, they realize that, you know, we've seen this before and sort of like back to reality. But, you know, they realize that, oh, we're in an artificial reality. We've got to escape. Mm-hmm. And they look for an escape and then they trigger what they believe is the escape and then we have a fucking claymation sequence like you get to see red dwarf in claymation and it's just glorious it's just like what am i watching and you know whether it's seeing the entire like this is so much of what i love about red dwarf like going back Mm. to those early episodes where you just think what am i watching where, yeah. you know, we see Red Dwarf blow up or we see these future echoes and it's like, you're in the second episode. What am I watching? This is so crazy. In these three episodes, the entire crew is back. You've destroyed the entire premise of the show. Uh, now, you know, we've got a claymation sequence. Like, it doesn't even make sense, right? Like, there's no alternate reality nested inside a claymation alternate reality that makes sense as a thing you would do. But it's so much crazy and fun like how can you not love a show that does this i love the fact that they they try and sort of palm it off because i think it's christine uh, kachansky says um we're stuck in the screensaver and i'm like i'm still thinking (laughs) so what so why is it claymation but um yeah yeah, i i i love the fact they identify that they're definitely in a a virtual uh, like a false reality when it's cat that identifies the escape routes it's e (laughs) What is it? E um, eleven. Sort of this is it's basically figuring out the exit in Roman numerals and this other stuff. Mm, um, mm. Is E eleven E I eleven T? 
And it's like, right. It's like, well, 11, E11T, isn't it? Just, well, you know, 11 in Roman numerals, IX. He's just like, yeah, we must be. In a, if he's figuring this out, <laughs> this can't be real. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Because, again, like, you know, it's, it's – and also the fact that, like, it doesn't just um, – you know, it's not just a brief thing as well. Like they do a whole sort of bit there because, you know, uh, Lister gets eaten by a shark in uh, claymation, spat out, <laughs> and then and it's all, yeah, it's um, it is. It's back to being like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, um, and you you get a lot of that in this series of like just like what what are they doing? Um, I think that's <laughs> what it, it just gets braver and braver in some places. Um, which is when you know we'll get to the sort of the, the sort of the sadness of the end, but um, yeah, some of the stuff they get they get on. Like you say, we've had dancing blue midgets, we've had claymation, mm. we've had the crew back. Um, you know, you have sort of uh, Crichton um, doing go, literally going crazy. It's just um, yeah, <laughs> this, this is, is, is a statement of intent. These first three episodes, if this if this had been the continuation that the BBC wanted to do, I would have been well on board. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's well stated. Uh, mm. You know, I think that's a very strong statement that this is a sort of like manifesto, a sort of like this is what was this is what we can do. And <laughs> thinking about what you were saying about the dancing blue midgets, you know, the claymation bit. Um, you know, this is uh, those are both in episode three. There's no yeah. way you do the dancing spaceships, right? These yeah. are shuttlecraft. There's no way you do dancing shuttlecraft being led by a cat. And don't think like, okay, this is jumping the shark. Yeah. You know, this is so risky. This could so easily not work. And it's going to cost so much money to animate mm. because... You're not doing models of of spacecraft uh-huh. dancing. This is pure CG, and this is not. I mean, it's it's a much slicker, bigger budget show every season, but this is still not a giant budget show. Why are we going to waste you know <laughs> half a million dollars on dancing shuttlecraft for something that is almost certainly going to look terrible and fail? And yet it works. I mean, again and again, like the claymation, it's just taking risks doing these things that are shocking that you know uh, and again there's still some rough edges to the plot but we don't care because a the comedy is working the timing's working the pace is working but it's also just willing to take these risks and it has those what the hell am i watching moments that are exciting and good yeah, it is. It's, it's, and that's the thing, isn't it? Again, like if I'm having fun, it's a bit like we said about the sort of the opening of Stoke Me a Clipper. It's, this is the kind of stuff that we got mm-hmm. glimpses of in season seven. Like that whole opening of Stoke Me a Clipper is this. It's them going, mm-hmm. Do you know what? Let's just be batshit crazy. But <laughs> you've, got, you've got Ace Rimmer sort of sky surfing a crocodile, shooting at Nazis. That's amazing. And then it sort of, you know, it never sort of finds that footing again. But now, for some reason, on season eight, they're just like, do you know what? That whole opening, we're going to do that. We're going to keep doing that because that's funny and we enjoy doing it. Um, you know, and I think they do, we'll go on to the next episode in a minute, but they do sort of hit a, a, a real, I think, just keep introducing interesting ideas and stuff and really playing these things up. And I think it's great. I think this whole season really starts to play those out. 
Um, but before we do move on, those first three episodes, anything you want to say more about back back in the red? No, I think we've said it all. Except, um, you know, I I just have a little note of uh, right as they're uh, around that comment between Lister and uh, and Rimmer, um, you know, about officers are men of honor. You know, Holly Holly is convincing Rimmer to, uh, you know, Holly gets into the action and Holly says, you know, to Rimmer, you know, we're giving you a second chance at life and an opportunity to screw it up in a new and original way. (laughs) (laughs) And the delivery is so much better than I could ever do. And, you know, there are so many little lines like that and little touches and and again, there you feel like, oh, Holly's back. I forgot how much mm. I miss Holly. So that's cemented by the fact that the timing is working, the lines are working, and that also gets it that Arnold's character, like, no, he's back to being the git, uh, yeah. and and he's going to screw everything up. And and yeah, we've reverted this character, right? We know we've reverted this character. Mm. There was no way to take it after Ace Rimmer, right? But it's going to be he's going to be a git in a new and original way. And we're going to make a joke of it. it. I mean, there are so many just little touches like that that just work and are fun. And uh, I can't say enough about that stuff. No, um, but we end up like saying that in that new status quo is um, the, the dwarf as we, as we know. So uh, Dave Lister, Arn Rimmer, Crichton and Christine Kachansky and the cat. Um, although you never see, you never see cat in his cell. I've just realized that. Mm. Um, uh, all end up in prison uh, in, in the brig of Red Dwarf. It's on floor 13 and it's this big thing. Hold 200 prisoners. Apparently they were transporting in secret. Um, and they also get to join into the next episode. Um, we start with them and Lister has signed them up for something. It's a bit of a hobby thing. He call, They're called the Canaries. Um, and I like this bit again. This is again, this episode is, has got some good ideas in um but also i like this idea that they have this thing of the canaries mm-hmm. like they use prisoners as um basically sort of like into the breach you are the guys that's going to go first so if you die we know it's too dangerous um the irony is that sort of like they they highlight how dangerous and sort of like you know stupid it is for joining this crew but all i kept thinking was well for the last five seasons that's what they've been doing anyway <laughs> right yeah Uh, uh, i mean they're constantly um, going into situations where they have no idea what it is i I didn't think of that but you're absolutely right and if anything you know they're going to have better equipment that works instead of a side scan that sort of keeps failing or whatever um but yeah yeah not to mention a bunch of other crew members backing them up um and one of whom is psychotic and is like you know all right i'm ready to kill yeah and I kept thinking of Starship Troopers. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that guy is clearly straight out of Starship Troopers, right? I mean, this is the like, hey, you know, it's good. We get to go in. We're going to see some action, kill some bugs. Um, yeah. And it, it is very Starship Troopers, even the kind of like fascism of using prisoners. Again, but they can't help but pull a, you know, pull a prank on them. So again, his name's Kill Crazy, which is, you know, they're not being subtle in any way. Uh, and he, he's at the front of the queue. He's about to storm into this other ship that they're being sent to, to investigate. And what's he do? Hits his head on the, uh, the, the bulkhead as he goes through the door and knocks himself out for the entire mission. Um, it's good. It's good stuff. I mean, yeah, they're, they're underwater. They've got to go to, they found this ship 
and they find uh, a, a a computer and they're called Cassandra who can predict the future with a hundred percent accuracy. So basically, she can see the future. Um, and again, this sort of introduces some interesting elements. So she says to them, um, you know, all of you, all everyone but Kachansky, um, Lister, Crichton, and the cat are going to die. Uh, and you know, and and Rimmer is going to die in a, in this horrible, horrible way. Uh, and then so they introduce this idea of like, well, can you change? You know, is 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 are there ways of changing that and getting around that and all this other stuff? And again, you sort of, it, it's not quite time travel, but it's still that deterministic sort of prediction of the future, isn't it? Can you change the future? Um, so, what are your thoughts on this episode? This whole this whole, all this concept they have of Cassandra. Yeah, I'm not sure how. She can predict the future, but I mean, you know, it's a it's an entertaining episode. I think that getting to uh, the depiction of the future, uh, you know, we've talked previously about the sort of deterministic model versus the like you can change things model, um, and and this is ostensibly in the deterministic model where uh, you know it, it's clever that you know Crichton says you know. Now we can't die, you know, since we've been told that we're going to survive, you know, so they just firing guns at each other and it just doesn't work. Uh, but when they fire it at uh, uh, at Rimmer, you know, it, it fires for real. Um, and then Cat, you know, hits them and they're like, we can, we can still feel pain, you idiot. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're in this deterministic model, um, but then ultimately you find out that, uh, you know, this prophecy about um, about Rimmer dying, um, this is to manipulate Rimmer into uh, being killed by Dave. Um, and there are certain prophecies that are a lie and they are essentially vengeance on Dave because Cassandra, this computer, knows that Dave is going to kill her. And so, you know, at the end, there's this very satisfying business of, of Dave saying, I'm not going to do it. And he sticks his gum into the wall and it causes a, a chain reaction that ends up short circuiting the computer and, you know, <laughs> uh, prophecy fulfilled. Uh, and I find that, you know, that's very fulfilling. All of the, you know, it's not as much fun as, say, future echoes, but it's doing something different. And mm-hmm. all of the ways in which it manages to, I think it's very clever that it manages to change, um, you know, not change time, but change this seemingly infallible prophecy um, while also staying within a deterministic model and not, uh, you know, because there is a viable excuse, you're not actually changing anything. Um, I think it's very clever. Uh, it's not the best episode, but, you know, it works. It's a clever one. Mm. I quite enjoy it. I mean, you know, there are certain parts where you say about the deterministicness. I mean, it, she predicts at one point that the, the way uh, Rimmer is going to die is that <laughs> our Rimmer, Arnold, is going to die, you know, making love to Kachansky. And uh, it's not, it's, oh, it can't happen. And then a series of events, you know, end up with her being naked in a, in a sort of trapped in there with Rimmer. Like, you know, she gets, her clothes get soaked and all this other stuff. And it's sort of, it's it's funny and it shows how this sort of thing is. If you are told something's going to happen, do you give into it? Because she literally does. That's her point. And she thinks well, we're all going to yeah. die now. 
or she knows she knows she's not going to die, but we're actually in a situation. So she's like, I can't believe I'm going to sleep with Rimmer, and he, she, he's like, I can't believe you're going to sleep with me. Um, <laughs> but she could well, always just say no. But she's she's almost like she's willing to give in to that because she's like, well, that's what the future. Is. Well, I've been told that's what the future is, and we've we've seen that it's always going to happen. So you know, I have do I have to give in to it? Um, which is interesting, but obviously it turns out to be a lie. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's some line about how, uh, you know, like, I've, I've never been seduced by uh, determinism before yeah. or something, you know, <laughs> like, this is a very strange seduction technique. Like, you know, I know you're going to sleep with me. Uh, it's been prophesized, you know, uh, it's going to happen. So uh, make your peace with it. OK, I mean, this is, yeah. you know, so they have a lot of fun with that. Um, but the, but the main thing that I found the funniest about that is uh that Cassandra prophesies that prophesies not only that uh, Rimmer and Kachansky are going to sleep together, but that Lister will be the one to kill Rimmer and will mm. kill Rimmer using a harpoon gun. And the first time you hear this, you think, what? Are, you know, first of all, yeah. it's ridiculous Kachansky <laughs> would sleep with Rimmer. Secondly, it's ridiculous to think that, there, you know, Rimmer's going to die from a harpoon gun to the head. And then you watch it all play out to the point where the script could easily go that direction if it wanted to. It's mm. almost like they're saying, see, we could do this if we wanted to, but yeah, that's a lie. And you know, we're going to go this other way. Yeah. And it's good. It, it is fitting back into that, that thing. And again, I, I, I kind of like the reason that Cassandra's there. Cause again, you, you know, it's a ship with no crew on. So they're being sent because they're like, well, why is there no crew on this ship? Um, and you, 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 you know, Crichton sort of works it out and she sort of confirms it that, well, you know, her being around to determine everything, it's sort of like it was a real problem. She she wasn't, she didn't crash. She was literally sent out into space to crash. Like, she was sent away. Um, you know, there was a, cho- a choice was made to get rid of her. Um, you know, she was unable to stop that. So, again, I find that interesting that like she was created. And instead of just turning her off, which apparently appears to be a thing because Lister sort of does it, um, right. they, they shoot her into space. Um, so I kind of like this idea as well that actually knowing the future isn't great. You know, it can actually really, and you see that with Kachansky, like you know, she she makes a a, a, concert, a a conscious decision to go. Well, I've been told that's the future. I've seen that these predictions are always right, so I've sort of got to give into it. So the power of being able to do that, you know, have that in the in the form of a computer, could be incredibly powerful. So again, I understand why they would get rid of her. Um, I don't. I mean, I you know, I I'll take it, but uh, no. I mean, it, you know, I mean, we're in a world where they want uh, androids to appear more or less human. You know, I mean, you know, it's an excuse to you know. I it, it's interesting. Yeah, I like it. I think it's, like you say, it's a it's a bit of um, I'll put it. It's a bit of a palate cleanser after the first three episodes, you've had this sort of like, you know, this three-parter, this has some crazy uh, moments in it. Um, it, you're re-baselining everything, and so you sort of get this, Cassandra as an episode sort of acts as a, as a bit of a palate cleanser, isn't it? It's sort of like, okay, we're doing this, and this is how we're doing it. And it introduces some of the prison scenario as well, which I quite like. Um, so I do, I think it's a really quite, I think it's a solid episode in this new lineup, um, which is good. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, um, especially considering it's it's soon to be it's going to be followed by another 
uh, <laughs> crazy episode, really. Because um, Cassandra is is followed by Crity TV, um, which sort of hinges on this premise that Crichton has been because he doesn't because he's a robot and he doesn't have a penis. Uh, he has been designated as a woman, and so is in the female prison section. Um, he is, at some point, sort of stopped, uh, he's sort of kidnapped, reprogrammed, um, and then uses his optics uh, cameras to basically broadcast um, shower time, and he introduces Crisy TV um, for pay-per-view, and becomes like basically a bit of a kingpin in the prison. Um it gets it gets even weirder. But um, what are your thoughts on Crichty TV? Uh, I like it. Um, it is a potentially I, I the the reality TV aspect of it is I think the strongest part, right? Mm. Um, and and Crichton sort of becoming a sort of kingpin, uh, immortal uh, prison uh, guy is, uh, is is a lot of fun. Um, you know, having said that, I mean this is. Uh, one of the most sexist uh, episodes. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff in these seasons that is potentially disturbing. I mean, you, you were mentioning um, uh, taking off and how in reality in, in um, back in the red three, that the real woman at the uh, control tower is, you know, a fatter black woman. Well, you know, I mean, this could, this probably wouldn't go over today. It would be seen as sort of, you know, fat shaming or, or something. Um, here, you know, the whole reason why Crichton is in the woman's world ward, ward is because he doesn't have a penis. All right. Well, today, I mean, that is incorrect, right? I mean, that yeah. it would not be trans friendly to say the least. Um, and, you know, the idea of filming women in the shower including your only female cast member and using it as a joke um Mm. i mean they acknowledge it's a bad thing to do right but uh you know i mean i i think this would be you know i mean this is a major crime this is you know this is a little like uh going back to sort of revenge of the nerds uh um, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, the rape was uh, uh, of a nerd uh, in disguise or something. You know, it is a little uncomfortable. It, it is. And I think they try and get around it in several ways, don't they? Because, you know, they use the fact that if, if any of the others had done this, if it had been Rimmer or Lister, it would be a, a real issue. The reason it works with Crichton is because he can be reprogrammed. So it's not like it's it's, it's not like it's his choice. Mm. Like he has literally been changed in order to do this. So you can sort of forgive Crichton because it's not who he is. Like he gets can get changed back and it'd be very apologetic. Um, and the other thing as well is the people that do that to him are criminals. Like it's Kill Crazy and a couple of his mates. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're a bit like, okay, it, it is uncomfortable as a premise. But the people that are doing it, they circumvent that by saying, okay, here's the people. The people that have done it are pretty despicable anyway. Um, But I also like the way it backfires on them as well. So they basically set it up so he's going to do it. And he gets a glimpse. This is going to harken back to a very, maybe a very British thing and and something of of a a youth thing. There used to be, uh, when Sky first came out, they would have um, 
like pornographic channels that would scramble after a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get like a 10 minute glimpse, you know, a titillation and a bit of a sort of a preview. So you'd have that 10 minutes and you can go, oh, so that 10 minutes last night or, and then, you know, you might watch static for the next sort of five minutes just to see just in case. Um, but then, and that's what sort of Crichton does. He gives them sort of a few minutes of titillation by seeing the women in the show, and then says, like, you know, and now I'm going to st- uh, stare at a cracked floor tile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you sort of, they're like, what? What's going on? And it says, it's like, it's it's pay per view. So you've got to donate. So they see, see them all sort of stocking stuff into buckets because it's a trade sort of uh, barter system. I, I think that's funny because, again, it's sort of like, you know, it's backfiring. It's that sort of a thing. That thing we keep saying about Red Dwarf is that careful what you wish for because it never quite works out um so crity tv you know the, the sort of the the titillation or the the you know the exploitation element of it never quite works out um but the other thing I, I, it's funny because again like you know lister eventually goes and sees Crichton uh about and says come on this is really not a good thing to do and he admits it to kachansky but i also like the fact that like well he did sit there for the three hours of it as well yeah um, you know, right. and everything else. It's just, it's, it's uncomfortable at times, but it, I think it's funny enough that they, you know, I can get round some of that stuff in my own head. I'm like, oh, okay, it's not terrible. Um, well, and you're right. Kachansky a... does call him on it, right? So Kachansky yeah. there is sort of like being the voice of the person saying, you know, this is super creepy and you're not um, innocent because you didn't uh, pay for it or approve of it, you still sat there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so she, the show does give a voice to that. It does. It sort of tries. I mean, you know, but then it's sort of accompanied by some, some interesting jokes that, you know, I think um, just before the confession, sort of um, Crichton calls Kachansky in and says, uh, oh, mum, I've, I've got a problem. You know, you, your fear of Veruca's. You think he's going to have to give some sandals or something, and he offers her a, a waterproof pogo stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, which is you know ridiculous again, ridiculous, but it's it, it makes me laugh. I think it, it gets a chuckle out of me. So, um, yeah, the first half of the show with the sort of the um, you know in the filming in the showers is is, is funny, but like you say, is I think it's designed almost designed to be awkward and uncomfortable because. I think this is when like reality TV was starting to really take off as well. That's sort of like you know the late nineties, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's then followed by um, a prank show as well, which has been around for many years as well. So the second half of the show really is, you know, Crichton gets re- uses his power to get reassigned into the male. Uh, well, I like the joke, but basically they found out well, the women found out what he was doing. And because of that, they've reclassified him as a man. <laughs> um, uh, um, but it's only there to play a joke on on Dave. He tells Dave Lister that uh, chance he's going on a date with her former boyfriend, Tim, and all this other stuff. And he's, he gives him directions to go to what he thinks are Tim's quarters to lay out a whole bunch of horrible hideousness across the room. Uh, it turns out, though, it's not. It's the warden's room. Um Right, which is a, which again is quite funny. Um, so, what are your thoughts on the second half? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it works. I mean, yeah. I the thing that I would say, you know, I mean, I I don't love this episode, but I think it works. I I think one of the things that 
has stood out about this episode in um in retrospect and in talking about it here is that it is really the one episode that takes place entirely in the prison mm. um because we have this new status quo you know basically they're they're prisoners for the entire season right i mean there's a three-part intro but um we have a whole season in which they're in prison on red dwarf mm. uh i mean that's awesome but the the previous episode they're space marines right mm-hmm. i mean yeah. and yeah that makes sense but i mean they're able to to go out and and do the normal stuff right um this is the only one that takes place really in the prison and then the next two-parter sort of takes place in the prison but really they have the run of the ship um yeah. and, and then that kind of continues into the last one but this is really the only uh episode where the entire plot is based on we're in prison and the story takes place entirely in there and i think that is to be able to do that shows a tremendous versatility and again that you can change the status quo and it still works mm. I mean, obviously, you have, um, you know, this should not work in any way, shape, or form. You've got the new status quo, red dwarfs around, and they're in prison. And so here's a whole story that revolves around making money in prison and the the evil stuff you get up to, basically, you know, selling cigarettes or, you know, whatever. Yeah, and that's I, I like it because he even pays off the guards, don't they? They'll call him Mr. Crichton, sir, and all this other stuff. So there's a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff in this episode that I really like. I mean... There's little jokes as well that I think, you know, the fact that Crichton is wearing a beard, um, you know, when he's, he's sweeping up outside um, the warden's room, he's obviously sort of like, you know, he's filming it. It's a bit of a two-part joke. I mean, the joke, the joke is obviously he's completely recognisable with the beard on or off anyway. Um, but it also harkens back to, in this country, there was a show called uh, Beadles About. And it was a guy called Jeremy Beadle, and he would do pranks on people like this and then he would sort of like you know be around i suppose it'd be like candid camera really um they do a prank on someone then he'd reveal himself at the end like you know take off a beard or a, a wig or something like that and they'd be like oh it was all a joke you know that wasn't really my van that went into the thames or something like that and so i think it's supposed to be a bit of a joke on that as well um so i, I do i think i think the episode works i like the corruption of Crichton. um and the way they sort of they play it all out. But the other thing I think that's, that works quite well for me in this episode and shows another side of like the weaseliness of Rimmer is um, at the very start of the episode, uh, Lister is given back his guitar, but then when he gets it, it's got no strings, um, and it's just played off as a bit of a joke. It's sort of a, it's a it's a small moment, and then later on you find out that um, Lister receives a letter saying that his appeal is coming up. Like, you know, they can appeal, but they've got to be on their best behaviour. And so um, when Rimmer reads it, he reads it as like, they're on appeal for everything. So they could actually get out of prison. This could be it. This could be the thing for them. They've just got to be on the appeal. So he clings to that to make sure that they don't get caught and everything's done by the book. And he keeps sort of saying, like, what about the appeal? And it turns out the punchline of the whole episode, which I, I do quite like, that's what I actually really like is the fact that the appeal wasn't about getting out. It was just about getting guitar strings for his guitar. Um, and so throughout all this, Lister has been trying to make sure he can play his guitar and Rimmer has been helping him get the one thing that, 
you know, he really <laughs> hates. Um, yeah, I quite like that too. And and that does seem um, like such a return to form. Like yes. it doesn't amount to, to anything great, but it's such a sort of like clever little twist that's in character um, where, you know, it, it gets at like ethically, why do we do good, right? Do we do good because we yeah. think we're going to go to heaven or we're going to get an appeal? Uh, and obviously in the case of Arnold Rimmer, that's the only <laughs> reason why he does good. Yes. Yeah. What's in it for me? Yeah. Um, so again, it, it's it's another sort of like, again, you know, Cassandra sort of resets the status quo. Crity TV, it's the good one in prison. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this series so far. Like, you know, we're five episodes in and... <laughs> Um, if this if this had been the continuation, I'm still I'm still pretty on board. Um, the next two, six and seven, is a two parter. I'd say this is a true two parter. Again, we sort of, we've got that. It's just mm-hmm. called Pete, and Pete is the name of a sparrow. Um, but I like this. This almost feels a bit like um, I've said it before, a bit like a a Simpsons episode. <laughs> Um, in that it's it starts in one place with a with a, a quite a, a good reoccurring joke, um, and goes it, it ends up in a very different place, um. But yeah, and uh, you know, it, it to even works together really is a single episode, obviously because it's a, it's a really I think it's a good solid two parter. But what are your thoughts on Pete parts one and two? Yeah, I like it. I I like part two better. Um. I, I think part one, you know, it, it takes a little while to get going. And, and as you say, it sort of, you know, begins as one thing and becomes another. Um, the sort of the idea that the captain would sentence them to play basketball against the guards is so yeah. ridiculous, you know, and, and doesn't really work for me. But, you know, what really works for me uh, are is the captain. We see a lot more mm-hmm. of him here. They keep getting called before the captain. And this goes on and on and on, especially in part two. Every five minutes, they're summoned yeah. back in front of the captain. And that's a that's a idea that goes back to the earliest episodes of Red Dwarf. Um, of sort of, you know, Rimmer toadying up to the captain. And, you know, uh, uh, obviously uh, Lister having to uh, stand up to the captain about having the cat. Um, the captain seems remarkably invested in these two prisoners, uh, yeah. <laughs> even these two characters uh, early on. But, um, you know, that is a running gag that ultimately pays off at the end with the captain going insane. Um, yeah. And, you know, that works for me remarkably well. And the other the other star of this, I mean, just amazing star of these two parters besides Pete. And we'll get into that later are the Scudders that the scudders are back and you know these are the the little robots that you know look like the mst3k guy with it you know and you know we've talked about them before like around season two and how much we like them and you know um but they're back obviously they've been reconstructed by the nanites and they're secretly running like illegal goods for uh (laughs) for lister and lister has them you know um you know, bringing, uh, bringing things to him and, you know, uh, they're bringing drugs to him and he sprays them with like WD-40 as like yeah. a reward, which doesn't really make sense, but it's funny and clever. Uh, 
And so I, I just love the scudders. I love the, uh, and I love the captain. Yeah. Again, like they say, this, this thing of them being brought back in front of the captain, because every time something goes pear shaped is, um, it's good. It's just sort of, again, it's, it's that sort of, um, it's almost like an old school sitcom, isn't it? That repeat gag of just being caught out in every plan they do, it goes slightly wrong. Um, and I, you know, I think, um, you know, one of my favourite ones is is the uh, they get they get sentenced to. Let's say the basketball doesn't make a great deal of sense, other than for them to basically give the guards a chance to punch the crap out of the people. But um, and and even the fact like that the way they solve it by giving them all sort of like um, erectile dysfunction medication is you know is um, is funny but doesn't quite sort of make sense. Um, but my favourite one is when they get sentenced to sort of peeling spuds. Um, uh, peeling potatoes for however much they've got to do, and they end up sort of using a a, um, a program programmable virus. Like they've not learnt their lesson at at all <laughs> for some of the stuff that's gone in the past, and they program it to just just eat the skins off potatoes, so they are left with the peeled potatoes, and it'll just happen in minutes. And then it starts to eat their clothes and their hair and all this other stuff. Um, but there's just a, there's just a scene um, of. Like first, it attacks Rimmer. It sort of it eats his sleeve, and then it eats a bit more, and this sort of stuff. And then just sort of like this this thing of like Lister laughing his ass off at Rimmer, sort of trying to bat it all down, and his clothes disappearing bit by bit. And then you see um, Rimmers do the same. Um, it, it just makes me laugh. I just thought the whole section was really good. Uh, and again, it's sort of it's just these repeat gags. Like it's just quick fire, isn't it? A lot of times they're just hitting you with a lot of stuff. Um, whilst they're setting up this bigger thing as well, um, yeah, the bigger I, thing I, is that well, come. well, I agree the erectile dysfunction thing doesn't work very well. I agree completely with everything you've said. The the potato peeling gag, you know, what what I love about it most is, I mean, you sort of see where it's going, but then they haven't been decontaminated when they go before the captain. <laughs> and so, you know, Arnold like shakes his hand and the captain touches his head and his clothes are coming off. His hair is coming off. So, you know, I, I love watching the captain physically deteriorate over the course of these two episodes. It's not just that he is just angrier and angrier with them, but he's lost his hair. You know, yeah. I mean, there is this kind of like, um, you know, you mentioned Preacher, you know, that that's sort of like the deterioration of Star over the course of the series that, yeah. you know, he yeah. loses multiple body parts. And and there's a sort of thing happening in miniature with the captain here, psychologically and physically deteriorating. And by the end, he's got a sling around his entire head. He's been injured, you know. Uh, so to me, that that got me. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, because by the end he actually can't talk, can he? He actually puts up his notes saying, "I've got PTSD." May <laughs> <laughs> not talk for twelve months. Um, but yeah, because the the other thing that's going on is obviously they've obviously they've been on, a, on another mission uh, as canaries, and they come across a time wand, uh, and the time wand um, does different things. Uh, un. Um, <laughs> The rules for the time wand are a little iffy, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. uh, but it does what you need it to do, basically. It's a magic wand that can either you know, de-evolve or evolve or 
you know, people, clothes, time, all kinds of. It can freeze time. It can do. It can do all kinds of things. But it's it's a useful, useful story beat. Um, but in series, <laughs> if if it had been a series seven, I would probably be ripping to pieces. Um, but it just sets up a gag, really, doesn't it? That they, you know, because uh, Lister and uh, Lister and and Rimmer get put in the hole, uh, and they're in there they meet. Um, um, a, a small Welshman and his pet sparrow, uh, Pete Birdman. He's just called Birdman, um, and his pet sparrow, uh, Pete. Um, and event, you know, um, the excitement of being of being released kills um, Pete. Um, and in the final sort of thing of, of the towards the end of the, the first part of Pete, Crichton attempts to use the time one to return Pete to his physical fitness. But instead, reverts him back to and devolves him to become a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes. So now we have a dinosaur running around Red Dwarf. Yeah, I quite like that. I mean, I I think the the dinosaur bit works completely for me. Um, mm. One of one of the worst episodes of the Moffat uh, Who era is Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. And uh, it is such a, like, this should work, right? Like, this should be so much fun. And nothing in it is fun. And none of the timing works. And it's, I get that maybe kids will like it, but, I mean, none of the timing works. It's not fun. This is fun. Um, uh, it's fun seeing, you know, this is literally a dinosaur on a spaceship. It's another one of these just out-of-the-box crazy ideas. Um, and here again like the cgi is so much better this season like you know we we talked about that with the, with the dancing uh blue midgets but here the dinosaur actually looks good um and in uh part two it begins with uh, the uh uh obviously uh the dinosaur i think it's the, the end of part one that it eats uh uh you know it kills birdman right it eats yep. its former yep. master and then in part two it uh uh, eats the scudder and the time wand, um, yeah. and you actually see the scudder inside the uh, digestive tract, inside the stomach of the Tyrannosaurus Rex, like poking his head out of the stomach acid, which is which is quite charming uh, and bizarre. Um, and then, pretty much through the whole episode, um, you know, first they're trying to keep it secret, and you know they feed it Vindaloo, you know, of course. Here's a, a Vindaloo gag that works for me. Um, you know, they put a cow in it, and, and the idea is that they're going to, you know, get it to pass the uh, the time wand. Um, and you actually get a close-up of the dinosaur's eyes go wide from the spicy yeah. Vindaloo, <laughs> which is a Vindaloo gag that works for me. Um, yeah. And, and ultimately, the crew wakes up from their, you know, suspended animation. They're f- being frozen by the time wand, and... Then the crew begins to to chase it, um, and that's how you know the captain gets injured uh, again by a fifteen uh, foot tidal wave of diarrhea from the back end <laughs> of that, which you know is gross but quite funny. I mean, just and that's the end of a litany of like, do you know what happens when you feed a Tyrannosaurus Rex Vindaloo? You know, it burps. Oh yes, you know, and it goes through this long thing. This litany that ends up in diarrhea and how, you know, uh, people keep dying from these, you know, gross out <laughs> moments. So all of the all of that works for me. 
Yeah, I agree. I think this this episode is one of those ones where it's sort of like they've just hit their stride and they're having fun and it's sort of like they're going to keep pushing the boundary. I mean, like you say, the time one free they've they've frozen the crew so that they can go off and enjoy. Um, you know, they're having a meal in the sort of one of the, the the cargo bays, and the idea is they can get the time one back. They can actually. The idea is they can compress time, whatever, and they can actually their two year sentence can just be can be gone in a matter of seconds. Um, and yeah, so it it just sort of all comes together. It's it's ridiculous, and again, like I said, the special effects work better. Um, but even like I say that they 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 understand that their the limit. I think the thing is they understand their limitations. Um, because again, the things that sort of happen to the captain are, are good, like I say, because they, they feed him a whole bunch of vindaloo, and then he goes, because it's so spicy, the, the T Rex goes off and eats sort of like a, two tons of, of chopped chip ice cream and, and uh, <laughs> orange orange popsicles and a bunch of cola. Uh, and then it sort of, it, it, so, so it burps, and when it burps, after it's burps and eating the it's it's sick, and then after that, it gets a tap of, of diarrhea. <laughs> oh, God. It's just like the way the captain reels up. He said, "You know what happens then?" And it's sort of like, <laughs> oh my god, it's vile and horrible. Um, and you know what's coming, right? I mean, you know the poop is going to come, but yeah, it's more. It's, it's funny up. because it starts with burping, and then yeah. you know it gets sick, and you think, "Oh, okay, they didn't go for the real big gross out," and it just yeah. keeps escalating. <laughs> There's a, I mean, there's a, yeah, it just keeps going. Like you say, it go, escalates. And I like the fact that at the end of it, Rumor says, um, "I think, I think you missed some of your left nostril." So, <laughs> um, but it does. It keeps going. I thought the payoff of this, I thought was going to be, oh, they killed it, and they're going to have to clean. You know, because he keeps giving them more and more punishments. Was so you're going to have to clean that up? Um, but he doesn't. He hands them back the time ones and says, "Nobody else can seem to to get this to work." Just for some reason, yeah. Crichton, Crichton can. You're going to go fix this. Go fix this. Go get that dinosaur sorted. Um, and they do, you know, in, in true sort of red, in true, true dwarfer fashion, they do. They get it sorted. They turn him back to, to Pete and they bring back Birdman. Um, I, I like the fact that Bird's, um, Birdman's first response is, oh, Pete ate me. Um, <laughs> is, is, is really quite upset about that. Um, you never understand why he's in the hole, though. Like, he's obviously done something yeah. terrible to have been in the hole that long. Um, uh, but the one thing they didn't realise is that that uh, this Pete as a T Rex also laid an egg, um, and it, it, uh, the final one of the bits at the end, which I really like, is um, you go back to Captain Hollister after all this stuff. He's trying to de-stress. He's having a you know a massage, um, <laughs> and then the, it turns out that the baby they're chasing down the baby dinosaur, and that goes in and starts licking his back. <laughs> <laughs> And it ends then with him sort of them being called back to the to the, uh, the captain's office, and he can't talk, and that's when he's like, "I have PTSD." <laughs> it's a it's like a bridge too far. Um, it well, is, it's, and it's a, it, he sentences he them to uh, twelve months in the hole, and then yeah. you find out no, he's sentencing himself to that. Uh, yeah. you know. and, it's the only so safe I place. mean, the captain has been utterly reduced to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's quite yeah. funny. Uh, um, and again, there's a, there's a great bit in in um, I think it's the I think it's just the first one. I think it's the first one um, when they've been affected by the time wand and they're actually in a different time stream, but they get beaten up by two of the other prisoners. Oh no, that that's in part two. Yeah, this oh, is, is very two. good. Yeah, 
Yeah, and they've been beaten up, and they're sort of like, why aren't we getting hurt? And Crichton's like, oh, because you're in a different time scale. But then time catches up to them as they're sort of stood talking to Captain Hollister. And it starts with Lister being punched in the face and flying back through a screen, and then Rimmer gets knocked about. <laughs> and stuff like it's, 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 the pair of them do a fantastic... The physical comedy yes. in that moment is uh, is brilliant, and I'm, I'm really impressed with it. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it also... Now, uh, like the camera also cuts very cleverly there. You know, it's it's very yeah. it's very well cut. It's rapid. Um, you know, so often on Red Dwarf, like I mean, even last season we had them in um, Duct Soup, where uh, supposedly the wind was blowing them down the duct, and it's clearly just the actors rolling uh, turtle mm. bug style, just sped up, right? Yeah. Um, the difference between that and this is amazing. And and a lot of it is just, you know, doing rapid cuts, uh, knowing what you're doing there. It's I agree. It's just it's 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 well paced, well timed, and well acted. It's one of those things that just comes together, isn't it? Like a good crew and you know, the editing suite pays off at the end. So no, it's a well done. I think that's a great moment. Um, but you're right, I think these episodes are, are just are just good fun. Um and they really well, are throwing stuff out there that just like shouldn't work. You shouldn't yes. like groaning at this, but I'm really enjoying it. Well, uh, you know, there's a there are a few additional things in in part two. I, I love uh, Rimmer in front of the captain saying, you know, I hope this one small dinosaur incident won't tarnish our <laughs> records. You know? And you know, when they see the the egg, uh, as the egg begins to hatch, little dinosaur. Uh, feet come underneath it and yeah. it runs away and it's so cute um, yeah. but we haven't even mentioned uh, you know again if this were in the previous season we'd have all these objections because there are so many different plots going on this is such a yeah. mess uh, uh, you know but it all works then there's Crichton's penis and you, yeah. you hear that <laughs> Crichton, Crichton you know Kachansky is looking for a mouse and Crichton yeah. says, uh, oh, it's not a mouse. It's my penis. And yeah. this is his solution to being in the women's world, the women's ward, uh, as he says, quite problematically, uh, genitally challenged. Um, yeah. So he's made himself a penis and it's run off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on, it appears inside Kat's uh uniform and it's you know yeah. impersonating a chest hugger like thumping through you know yeah. uh and Crichton says don't be alarmed just my penis is on the loose <laughs> so i mean the penis stuff is very funny it is yeah i mean he's called it archie um <laughs> yeah. the fact he's named it um but also they say i love kachansky's line it's like no, no Crichton, you are most definitely finally a man because uh <laughs> you, you, you can't control, yeah. Of course, man. You can't control your penis. Um, yes. Yeah, it's good. Again, like, you know, she, she. I think you know, Chloe Annette doesn't do. She, I, I wouldn't say she's wasted. She, but she doesn't get a great deal to do in this series. Um, but when she is on it, she's good. Like she's, she's mm-hmm. actually very good in this series. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm saddened to say she doesn't return. Yes. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, it is. It's a good two-parter. It's a solid, two-part, but there's a lot going on, and there are moments when I think it drags a little bit because they're trying to fill a two-parter. Uh, the moment when they're behind a a big steel door, 
<clears throat> which is sort of I think the end of one um, end of part one and start of part two. But the behind the steel door that the dinosaur is trying to beat down, um, mm. and there's a couple of gags there. But that does go on for a little bit too long. Like you know, you can see where they're like, okay, we've got to fill two half hour segments, so let's do this. Um, but other than that, like I think it's it's a really solid sort of two parter. And again, like you say, the fact they're doing multiple part episodes in this series, not not just if they did it for just the opening, fine, I'd be like, okay, that that's cool, that makes sense. But the fact they drop one in later in the series as well is, um, and not even for the final episode, which is right. be the usual typical thing, isn't it? So they are they're not they're not just doing these things. Like they they clearly have ideas that they want to do things with. So. <clears throat> Where we kept saying that sort of like season seven just wasn't thought out enough, you know, sort of like an idea that's sort of just been thrown together and that's it. This feels a lot more thought out and a lot more edited um, to form something a bit more coherent. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Pete is a great example of that because Mm. there's so many different plots going on. I mean, you know, you have these guys who beat them up. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, it's a gag that's tied to the time wand. Yes, it allows them to misbehave in front of the captain again. But, I mean, you know, you know, those guys wind up uh, regressed into apes. You know, de-evolved. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is a, a that's just like a little silly gag. Um, but there's so much. I mean, there's the penis that's running around. I mean, which by the way is way better than you know Crichton's hand. Um, which we've seen running around, but um, you know, I, this if it were if that script were not tweaked, it's a kind of kitchen sink script where everything's thrown in there. I mean, you've got the Birdman of Alcatraz, you know, um, everything is in there, and but somehow it's just been polished enough that the jokes land and. Again, the timing is right. Maybe, again, it's that studio audience, but the timing's right. The characters, the actors seem like they're having fun. And it definitely feels as if that script has been polished in a way that those that previous season scripts haven't. Yes, it's been given that just a little bit more attention or that little bit more... Um p- polish off, that just one more go over, I suppose. <clears throat> Um, okay, so we go. We are going into the final episode, uh, only the good. And considering everything that's gone really well before, um, this one's interesting. I mean, you know, it sort of starts. You've got um, <clears throat> Rimmer is now on probation. Well, they're all on sort of probation. They've got a different sort, of slightly different setup. Um, you know, because about to get off, and this, we find out that the ship is uh, being attacked by a microbe. Um, that is eating away the plastic, or, the, or everything other than glass, which is quite funny, um, <clears throat> of the ship. And so it sort of leads to a cliffhanger, which we'll get to in a minute. But this is a, is a, is a final episode. Sort of. So what, what are your first thoughts on this this final episode of, of this series? Um, I like this less than most of the preceding episodes. Um, I still think it's good. I mean, if, if this were in the previous season, again, only uh, the Ace Rimmer episode would be better than it. But uh, it is one of the weaker episodes. And, and I think it is sort of, um, you know, a little muddled, at least compared to the other episodes. 
these microbes to start with, these microbes feel entirely too much like the nanomachines. And in my recollection, I remember this as the nanomachines. I didn't remember this as, oh, it's a separate microbe thing that, you know, uh, has been contracted, contracted. So, um, you know, there's that. Then there's, you know, this sort of, I, I do like the plot about the um, food dispenser that's mad at Rimmer uh, for stealing a, a chocolate nut bar. Uh, and, you know, it pays off at the end. I, I, I quite like that. The, the machine says, you are my nemesis. Our paths will cross again. And on that day, I will destroy you. And predicts that, you know, and Rimmer says, and on that day, I'll be captain. And of course, that comes true by the end of the episode. Um, the jokes about Kachansky's period and sort of, you know, Lister getting Crichton to make a fool of himself and Crichton, you know, uh, getting revenge with this, you know, illegal, uh, illegal whiskey or, or pooch in, uh, you know, which they have to drink, which is very silly slapstick. It doesn't, it's not terrible, but it doesn't work you know at the level that the rest of the season works you would yeah, agree with that yeah i would i think again this sort of this to me um harkens back a little bit to the problems of, se- of series seven in that okay we've got a point to meet how do we get there and then they sort of seem to go around it, and weirdly they meander a little bit on this one and um, Again, I actually thought the same about the nanos. And actually, my question is, why isn't it the nanos? Yeah, you've already right. got something like you've already got something that can do what this is doing. So, why not just make it the nanobots and say, right, they've rebelled. We haven't thanked them, or so, there's something. Yeah. You haven't, it could be as stupid, couldn't it? Like, oh, it could be as daft as like, well, we didn't thank them, so they're now taking the ship back, um, or something like that. But. Um, yeah, it's fine. I think the whole bit where I say we're celebrating um, Kachansky's period, sort of, you know, there's some there's some interesting, there's some funny bits in that. I think again, like you know, Robert Llewellyn's Crichton, sort of, there's some good gags. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, it's it's good, and it just it just feels like it's trying to get to a point. Um, you know, and the bit, even the bit in the alternative, the mirror universe, again, sort of like you know, is that a dig at Star Trek? Or you know, a little Star Trek nod, but they're going into the mirror universe. Like some of it feels okay, but the bit with you know, we found out at the very beginning of the episode, sort of um, Captain Hollis is ill and Rimmer is sort of acting as his nursemaid, or sort of like was like a, almost like an assistant. Um, and this woman comes mm-hmm. to see him, and sort of like you know, you don't know the relationship, and then eventually later on, you learn out. First, she's just called sister, so he sort of he plays it up like, after trying to snog her, and then um, it turns out she's not his sister, but a sister in the fact that she's a nun. And it, it's you know, again, it's sort of like, it feels f- fine, but it's yeah. not great. Um, it feels like series seven kind of humor. I'm like, oh, okay, that that feels a little, I don't know, that doesn't work for me that bit. And the whole bit of rumor in the in the um, the mirror universe. There's, there's ga- again, there's gags that work, um, but it feels like it's falling back onto old tropes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you know, you get so so Kachansky is really intelligent and, and competent, in, although in present in um, our universe. In the other one, she's like a bubblegum chewing sort of like bit of a ditz that works as a secretary for a professor who is the cat. 
You know, so you get right. Danny John Jules playing the Professor character, which is, you know, akin to him being Dwayne Dibley. It's all you never, and so weirdly, you never get to see a, a Mirror Universe version of Dave. Um, I don't know. It just it's fine, but it just feels a bit meandering to get to a point really of. And yes. the reason I feel I feel that this episode I'm, I'm sad about this episode really is I have liked everything being on back on Red Dwarf. Yes. You know, and the end of this episode really is them taking that away again. I'm just like, oh no, don't don't do that. <laughs> um although it does start a sort almost like a Battlestar Galactica kind of sort of scenario where you've actually now got a fleet of ships trying to do something but it, i don't know what they i don't know what they would have done with it but it it feels a bit like again you know th- this is the sort of thing that they seem to do now right we are going to introduce a um a cliffhanger that we're then just going to click our fingers and we'll be out of yeah you know those sorts of things um but in this one see this one seemed different to me even then in the you know, I could be wrong because they completely destroyed the entire crew um, and, and Starbuck everything at the end of season six and they still managed to sort of just click their fingers and be out of it. Um, but with this one, like, you don't see, for a large part of the, the end of the episode, like, you don't see the original Red Dwarf right. crew. You just have Rimmer going around the Mirror Universe. Right. Um, and then when he comes back, um, they're all gone. They've escaped and left him behind. It's very strange. Yeah, and but what makes it weirder and sort of makes me wonder more about this is he's visited by death. <laughs> yeah, and he knees death in the nuts and then does a runner, and it's, it's it gets this weird metaphysical place. I just that Red Dwarf has never gone to before, and so this cliffhanger you see. I mean, you see when the ship starts to come apart, you see. Blue midgets and starbugs sort of leaving the ship, like the crew will right. escape, uh, and and the original our red dwarf crew are sort of left behind, and lots of other stuff. But then like the ending, the second half of the episode, just I don't know, it just feels weird, like you know, and it sort of says the end, the smeg it is, and I'm just like, but I don't know where you're gonna go with this. I don't know what you're gonna do. I don't know what you're trying to achieve. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's confused and confusing. Um, yeah. The I agree that, you know, a lot of stuff, um, you know, is sort of not necessarily misfiring, but sort of not landing the way it should. Um, you know, there's that business uh, before the Mirror Universe where uh, they're um, all meeting in sickbay and... Mm. Cat uh, picks a fight in order to get beaten up and sent to sickbay. Yeah. And uh, it's done very well. You know, Cat mugs expecting, you know, a punch. And then the guy says, you know, oh, no, I'm your bitch, you know. And uh, and then, but but I'm thinking, okay, so it's all well enough done. But I'm thinking, you know, why does Cat not just disguise himself and go into sickbay the way the other characters have? Yeah. And then when cat fails to get beaten up you never see that guy again who's now cat's bitch literally is the word he uses and uh cat just dresses up and goes into sickbay what did what did we do that for um you know the same thing uh i mean where did that mirror universe device come from that was the other thing i was asking 
because yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. I, I don't yeah, it's know. like let, let's use that mirror universe device. You know, in the mirror universe, there's this joke is you know Rimmer's captain there, right? Um, although mm. you never see the the captain Rimmer, right? He doesn't appear. Uh, but Rimmer, lying in bed, looks at his penis uh, underneath the sheets and says, "Oh, everything's different here. Oh my!" And the and the joke is his his dick is big in the mirror universe, yeah. but he's not the of mirror universe Rimmer, right? I yeah. mean. You know, going. I, I. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Um, well, this goes back to the thing we said before about they're not following their own internal logic. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, this was more a case of season seven, but that's what I'm saying. This feels more like season seven. This bit because it doesn't follow any logic. Like technology pops up out of nowhere that's never been mentioned before. Um, the rules of the of the uh, mirror universe are never explained. Never seem to be followed. Um, yes. You know, because it's never been it's never been mentioned before. Um, you know, he gets the code for the alkaline solution that's the, the antidote. He gets it written down, brings it back. Oh no, it's turned into the um, it's now the code for uh, the the virus. You know that sort of thing. Like it just it just yeah, that's a clever uh, idea, but it doesn't yeah. make sense, right? I mean, you've written something. It doesn't, you know, like. There's also the problem that often comes up in these stories of like, what is the opposite of X, right? Yeah. The opposite of a cure is a formula for the virus. I mean, does that make sense? But even if it does make sense, why, you know, why would something written change? I mean, does that mean like if you bring a copy of the Bible into the mirror universe, it becomes a copy of the satanic Bible? I mean, Mm. is that... I mean, none of this really makes sense. You mentioned Cat as a professor. You know, that's like you said, I mean, it's a gag. It's a visual gag. We never see Cat do anything as a professor. No. And that's the problem with it. It's sort of like the setup for all this. The fact that they messed around. I mean, it's some of the funny stuff with the period stuff at the beginning, fine. But it's almost like they've crammed this all into the second half of of a half hour show. When really, this should have been the whole show. Yes, you're right. And that's the problem with it. It's sort of like they've, they've sort of meandered to get there, and then they go, "Oh Christ, we've got to we've got to zip through this and get to the end." And it's just an, some odd choices made for this final episode. Um, and I'm not sure they ever had a a, a, a follow up. And you know, we're going to talk continuity. This is the final. Um, this is the final episode of um, the BBC era. This is the cliffhanger that was left on in 1999, and it would take 10 years for them to come back in any form. Um, but I, I know, I'm going to have to watch it again to see if this, any of this gets resolved. But at the end of this series, you have got an entire crew of how many hundreds of people out in space in different small ships, and part of that is going to be a... Um, you know, a, K- a Kachansky, a, a Lister, a Crichton. Oh, um, aren't they in the mirror universe? It, I mean, when when Rimmer comes back, right? Yeah. In order to fulfill the gag about the, the uh, you know, the vending machine, uh, you know, isn't he, he, he's told like, oh, he's the only one left. So that makes him the captain, right? So that fulfills the gag. 
and I, I thought that he's some he's told that his friends have already gone into the mirror universe. Oh, of course, yes, that's right. So they've all disappeared into the mirror universe. So he's now in. He now escapes. Yeah. So the our red dwarf is now on fire and breaking down, and we just see him running off. So does he go into the mirror universe and get them back? Does it? It's just. Yeah, this is very confused and confusing, as you say. Yeah. And, um, you know, 10 well, years I mean, later, it's easy to forget this stuff, right? Because we don't see that crew. We don't see anyone but Rimmer, right? We don't follow yeah. them into the mirror universe. We see yep. that, like, Rimmer shows up and they're all gone. And then, uh, you know, the virus has eaten the uh, laser device that opens the mirror universe. But... Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like rumors trapped on a ship that's, you know, decompressing. I mean, that's being destroyed. But, you know, I mean, it feels like they just kind of, you know, like, well, we didn't know how we were going to resolve any of those other cliffhangers. So let's just give them a fun cliffhanger. And, you know, um, and I mean, I guess you could you could have the the others open a laser from the other side and, and save Rimmer. And then the show just continues on the Red Dwarf of the Mirror Universe. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an easy solution, but yeah, it does feel confused and confusing between, so between this, we'll talk about it in the next show, but the next, in the next one, it returns pretty much to that status quo. Dave or UK TV wanted it back to that status quo. So you end up with the four of them, you know, uh, Rimmer, Lister, Crying Cat on Red Dwarf. Yes. Right. So I, I between this episode and next, I will do some research and I am going to create a continuity, a headcanon that exists that explains it because <laughs> it's got to be somewhere. Because um, it's like you know, this is yes, it's a, it's a different TV channel, but you know, you've got to have some sort of continuity, um, well, or some we, sort of resolution. We didn't really between two and three. I mean, <laughs> I know there's a narrative crawl. But, you know, I mean, there's, you know, we don't really have uh, any resolution there. This is bigger. But, I mean, I remember at the time when, uh, you know, um, Back to Earth, which is the three-parter that constitutes uh, season nine. When it first came out, they, they said, it almost seemed like they were mad that they hadn't gotten an additional season. And so, you know, what I read was, you know, I mean, because I was so excited to have Red Dwarf back. And I remember reading online that, you know, it seemed like, I mean, they said, look, we're not going to resolve that. We're going to pretend as if those additional seasons happened. And initially they refused to call Back to Earth season nine. They said, like, in our minds, it's like, you know season 12 or something and all those other seasons happened and uh you know and we're just never gonna explain that um and so now obviously because we've had three more seasons and a movie since then retroactively back to earth is nine but i think the original intent was like yeah i mean there's a bunch of stuff that happened between those two you know you didn't give us the money to make it so you know f you yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 
that's how TV stations work. I'm not sure that's how fans work. So I'm pretty sure there'll be something, <laughs> there'll be something out there. <laughs> um, I'll be interested to try that. I will take that as a mission. I will see if there is something somewhere that, that tries to address that. Um, but that's it. That's where we're left. Uh, we have addressed Series 7 and 8. It's, it's a bumpy ride between the two of them. Um, series 8 definitely stands out. Series 7 is, is, is the doldrums in many ways. Um, any final thoughts on these two series before we sort of uh, before we wrap up? Uh, just how shocked I was by how good series eight is. Um, you know, I I did not remember it being this good, and I think it stands up with, um, you know, I don't think it has as many classic episodes. Like I said, I mean, most of those early seasons have two or three that I think, oh, these are just great. I don't think it has, especially because it has those two parters. I don't know that it really has a single great classic episode in the same way, but it's fun all the way through. And that's better than the preceding season. So anyone who says that Red Dwarf just, you know, is downhill after five or something, you know, uh, or whatever they say, uh, just is incorrect. What about you? Yes. No, the same. And, you know, I think going back to these was a bit of an eye opener because for me, for many years, I thought series seven was, was the, was a goodie and season eight was the, was a bit of a duff one. And, and I hadn't revisited these in many years. So going back to them, it was a bit surprising to realize that yeah, actually series seven is a complete mess. Um, and you know, it, it is disappointing in so many ways. Um, but series eight is actually, like I say, a lot of fun. Um, it's clear that the crew and the, and the sort of the cast are really enjoying it. It fires on sort of like almost all cylinders um, and, and, and genuinely made me laugh. So um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I, th- I think it was good fun. I've really enjoyed watching series eight and going back and watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, now from, from our point of view though, we're going into it for you, at least we're starting to head into uh, uncharted territory, aren't we? Yeah, well, I have not seen... I saw Series 10. Um, I, I don't think that I've ever seen 11 or 12 or this new movie. Yeah, so we're starting to move towards, sort of, let's say, slightly sort of uh, Uncharted Territory. I've watched them all relatively recently, actually. I sort of saw, saw 11 and 12 um, uh, at the end, start of this year uh, on the app, and obviously I caught The Promised Land when it, when it was aired on TV. So... We will get to those very, very soon. But the next episode, we'll, we will be starting with the UK TV play. Um, their first outing, which was Back to Earth, which is a three-episode special, which aired in 2009. And then we shall go on from there. Um, so, yeah. But I'm really enjoying it. It's good. It's, it's, it's been a real sort of, uh, as we sort of said in the last episode, labour of love. I think we're sort of, this is our fourth episode, fourth <laughs> bonus episode of Red Dwarf. We're now clocking at just over four hours for this one. So this is... I know. If anyone's ever done a more definitive, (laughs) in-depth review of Red Dwarf, I'd love to see it. Because I tell you what, this is going to clock in at, what, probably like, I don't know, a day's worth of podcast listening. Um, Yeah, something like that. 20 hours, 20... Yeah, it's going to come to that. (laughs) We're insane, Scott. (laughs) It is. really are, but I'm loving it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I will be I'm gonna be starting promoting, you know, you know, this hasn't obviously hasn't started coming out yet, but 
the people that are going to listen to this are going to be amazed at the sort of some of the discussions. I don't think people have gone to this level of psychoanalyzing red dwarf characters to the level to which we have. Um, so I'm really pleased with what we're doing and I think it'll get some, hopefully it'll get some good attention. So as usual, Julian, thank you. Thank you so much for your, for, uh, for joining us, uh, joining me on this, uh, this deep space mission. It's my pleasure. And I'm going to go research, uh, um, Lister Rimmer slash fiction. <laughs> that's your mission Do you know i'll leave that one to you i will research the gap between series eight and the and the back to earth <laughs> all right well i'm so glad to be doing this until next time scott yes have a good one and uh listeners we'll see you soon streams.